surface with everybody Bob Babbitt here we are brought to you by the PTO the pro triathletes organization amp human fellow fix Norma tech form goggles you can and our challenged athletes foundation recently had the chance to talk to two legends Mark Allen Karen Smyers who both won the 1995 Ironman World Championship how are you guys doing great how about you Bob I am spectacular I'm just uh just loving the fact that the ocean, this doesn't affect you, Karen, but for Grip and I, the ocean isn't brown anymore, and it's beautiful, and it's, uh, things are good. We, we had a couple months where it was just pristine and gorgeous, and then really, literally this last week, cars are lined up along the coast, you know, driving. Everybody's stopped being sheltered at home, that's for sure, sheltered in place. They're, they're getting out. I think everybody's getting a little stir-crazy. A little stir-crazy, yeah. And... Since we're, uh, what I wanted to chat about was I was looking back at 1995, and that was the year you guys both won Ironman, the Ironman World Championship. It was Mark's last one. It was Karen's uh, one and only. But what was cool about it is that race was so special because both you guys were, Mark, you were over 14 minutes back off the bike. Karen, I, I think you were like 11 minutes back, and both of you turned in magical performances to win what turned out to be just a classic day. So I'll start with, with you, Karen, and talk a little bit about, you'd been, you were, you had won world championships in 1990, and um, you, when you first came over to Kona, that was a, that was a pretty big departure for you, going that long, right? How, adapting to it in 93, to that longer distance, how hard was that? I was definitely a fish out of water. <laughs> I, I hadn't quite decided that it was the distance that I wanted to embrace. So 93 was kind of an experiment, I guess. Uh, my husband suckered me in because he qualified. And uh, I thought, oh, God, I'm not going to go over there and just watch if he's doing it. So um, I decided to jump in. My sister was doing it as well and a few other um, friends that I trained with. So um, it was definitely an experiment, and um, but once I experienced it, I realized that it was really uh, a pretty cool special race, and I finished fourth, so I knew I had possibly some untapped potential. So um, yeah, I, uh, I kind of embraced making that my big race of the year, but I kept racing Olympic distance as well sure. because I didn't want to give that up. And then the following year, you get second. So now all of a sudden, you're like, okay, if I'm, I go fourth and then second, there's only, there's yeah, there's only one spot left on the podium. <laughs> one spot left on the podium, and I really don't want to be looking up at anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Paula was obviously setting the standard and was the person to beat. And um, so both times she had won, the, you know, when I was fourth and second. And so really she was the last uh, thing standing between me and a win. <laughs> Love it. But, uh, she made so it tough. <laughs> she did make it tough. So, Grip, for you, you had won the Ironman five times, and then in 94, uh, Matt's is born, and you're taking that year off. When you came over that year working with NBC, you're probably the first time that you'd watched that race. Did you learn anything from being a spectator and being really, you're in the NBC vehicle. You're right up close and personal with everything that was happening that day. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know, all the years before that, 11 Ironmans, um, I, was in the, I was in the thick of it as through the athlete experience, you know, yeah. and so you're, 
you, you're really in that, I was really in that super nervous state going into it and anticipation and like, oh, geez, am I going to be able to handle it? You know, because it's, Ironman is, there, it's so much about managing the unknowns and how you're going to do it on race day. And when I watched in 94, I saw, I was not racing, so I watched all of the other guys go through their mental challenges and gymnastics and nervousness and freaking out. And I realized 90% of what they're freaking out about has nothing to do with reality and they're not going to have to deal with it. And it really just showed me like, Hey, you can actually go into that race way more relaxed and not lose so much energy, you know, just fretting about what's going to go on out there. And I realized that that year that even if stuff gets tough, it's so much easier to deal with it and manage it during the race than it is to think about how you're going to manage it prior to the race. <laughs> right. And so that really set me up for coming there in 95 with a, sort of more of an ease and a sense of grace or feeling like, you know what, it's, it's going to be okay, no matter what happens. And so don't worry about it. Just, you know, give every ounce of effort that you have. And it, and it really it set the stage for a whole different way of racing. Well, and also you're going in 95, you're 37 years old. And at that point, I mean, the year before Dave Scott had come back after five years away and was 40 and got second. So people are going, well, wait a second maybe we can be 37, 38, 39 and still win this thing. You're coming back at the age of 37. How did you have to adapt to being older and really being away from the sport for a year? Well, you got to understand that yeah. 37, that was the oldest I'd ever been in my life. So it <laughs> did feel pretty darn old. Um, you know, I, I had a reality check in the early winter. I started out training and tried to launch into kind of the rhythm that I'd done for all the other years when I'd won. And I realized, wait a minute, my body can't handle this. I have to back things down. I have to really focus more on kind of maybe the mental game of just that skill where you kind of get your mind to be quiet. Cause in Ironman, you, you have all these thousands of talks with yourself out there. And when you're chatting with yourself and going, Oh, I don't know if I can do it. My legs are killing me. He's too far ahead. You know, you don't have all the energy available to put into just engaging 100% giving what you have. And so in training that year, I really, I, I did the key workouts, but I backed off from a lot of the training that I had done in the past that I now saw was just to sort of support my self-confidence. Like, oh yeah, I can do it. Well, like cut that out. You have one day where you have to show yourself you can do it. And that's on race day. So, Karen, uh, you and Paula basically come out of the water together in 95, um, and, but she gets away pretty quickly on the bike. What, what were your thoughts when you get off the bike and you're, you're 11 minutes down? At that point, you know, we both know that in terms of television coverage, they're going to cover the, the guys, and then they're going to drop back and see who's leading for the women. If Paula's way ahead, the women might not get a heck of a lot of TV time. What were you thinking when you're on the run and you're 11 minutes or so back? Well, I, I wish I'd listened to some of Mark's wise counsel before the race. <laughs> because <laughs> My mind was not quiet <laughs> at all before <laughs> or during. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely had built up a lot of pressure on myself before the race. Um, I didn't know if I could beat Paula, but I really believed I could give her a race. Um, I knew I could race with her at the short distance. So, um, I just thought I was lacking experience. And if I shadowed her a little bit on the bike that, um, you know, I'd be able to stay with her. And uh, so came out of the water with her just as planned. I think I, so we stayed together for a good 20 to 25 miles on the bike. 
But once we hit the headwind, it was just like I was biking into a, you know, brick wall and she was like a knife through butter. I was like, wait a minute. So um, having been right there with her just as I wanted, I mean, I remember in the first 15, 20 miles sort of acting like, wow, this is, this is not hard at all. I can do this all day. And then it just changed so quickly. And I think that part of it hit me mentally because I just felt it slip out of my grasp that she just started disappearing. And I just could not push that hard. I thought I'm going harder than I go for a 40 K right now, trying to keep up. Like I just can't do it. And so I was really beating myself up as she disappeared. And of course being in second, you get all these time splits, which every time I got a time split, it was like somebody was taking a knife and twisting it in my stomach, you know, <laughs> like 30 seconds back. I'm like, yeah, I can see her. I, I was with her a second ago. I know where she is, you know, but then it's like a minute and a half, two minutes, four minutes. And I was, uh, you know, I kept making bargains with myself. Well, if you don't let her get more than three minutes, you can catch her on the run. And then I'd get a split that I'm four minutes back. So, um, you know, all this was going through my head and it wasn't until coming out of Kauai High on the way back home that I got some, I did get some wise counsel out on the race. And it was from, unfortunately, your rival, uh, Dave Scott, Mark, <laughs> that he, uh, he wasn't racing and he, he was on the sideline and he saw my body language when he cheered for me. I kind of stood up on a hill and cursed under my breast saying, I'm not taking this lying down, Dave. And uh, he took one look at my body language and is like, Karen, you, you're doing fine. You got to do your own race. And it was just a, a, a kind of a shakeup I needed in my brain. And I realized, like, I have got to stop basing my race on trying to catch Paula. Um, she's biking out of her mind, and I can't, you know, be thinking about her anymore. So I did finally manage to kind of uh, take a reset. And, and um, so when I finally got off the bike, I wasn't necessarily thinking – you know, oh, go catch Paul. I was just thinking, okay, thank God you're on the run now. This is a new uh, discipline thing. You can turn it around, just have the best run you know you're capable of. And luckily I felt like I had really good legs. And so I just kind of took it from there. So Grip, you can relate to one second year. You, you, you come out of the water about three, a little over three minutes ahead of Thomas Hellriegel. Did you even know who Thomas Hellriegel was going into that race? I had no idea who he was, uh, but I learned really quickly when he passed me, like I was standing still on the bike, that this guy was valid, a valid threat. And, you know, he, he, he passed me probably around 15 miles into the ride. You know, he just, he made up a ton of time, like in, in, insanely quick. And I, both he and Jurgen Zach went by and I was, I thought, well, tr try to stay with them, you know. Uh, but it was the same thing like Karen was just saying. They were, they were biking out of their minds. And I thought, if I stay with them, I will probably be the one that blows up on the marathon because I just know my body. And so I kind of let them go. Um, it, it, I didn't let them go. They just pulled away. You know, that, right. it, was their, <laughs> it was their doing, not mine. And so, but when, you know, and the same thing, the splits were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And at one point, the, the gap was so huge that I thought it would be stupid to chase because if I do, again, I, I'm going to be risking blowing up on the marathon. And I just don't know if I can make enough time back up by the end of the bike to make it sort of a foot race. Right. And so, you know, the whole time I was just setting myself up to start that marathon pretty pretty strong. And normally I take a few miles to kind of build into it, you know, and when I got off the bike, 
I didn't know how far Hell Regal was ahead of me. All I yeah. knew was that it was a big gap because that you know information was a little bit spotty. And uh, somebody yelled out, "He's thirteen and a half minutes ahead of you. Go catch him!" All right. Yeah, but and I did the math, and that's thirty seconds a mile. And I just thought, "There's no way I can do that." And so I. I tried to just break it down into something I could kind of wrap my brain around. And I, yeah. I just said, see if you can make up an, an inch or a second every step. And that's kind of my commitment when I went out of the transition area. The hard part about that is you, there's a point where your condo has to come into view. And you've already won this thing five times. You know you're hanging it up afterwards. You know, there's probably a drink with an with a umbrella in it. <laughs> it's pretty close by how hard is it when you got sort of one voice saying, you know, Hey, you can still do this. The other voice saying 13 minutes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? How did you deal with that? Yeah. When I was right about mile three of the marathon, um, which is normally where I sort of start to get rolling. I'd already been going hard for three miles. And back then the, the transition area was at the far end of Elite drive. So you came out of the bike transition straight up a steep hill, down into the pit, big downhill, back up, and then another steep downhill uh, to get onto kind of the main stretch of Elite Drive. By mile three, your legs are already beat up. And I, I could just feel like, I don't even know if I can finish this race, forget the winning part. And I did see the entrance to my condo and I'm like, ooh. You know, I came up with every valid reason why I didn't need to take another step. Just friggin' go in there. You've won five of these things. And then I thought about all the people who had helped me out. And I thought about my, you know, support team and, and my training partners. And, and I thought if I quit, I, I have not honored the work that they have put in to get me ready to do this race. And I could just feel this surge of commitment. Like I need to just get to that finish line. And I, I, I said, that's, that's my goal. I'm going to cross this finish line. I knew it was going to be my last Ironman. You know, I'd gotten in the sport years earlier in 1982 to be an Ironman finisher. And I thought, this is the last one. I'm not going to drop out in my last race. I'm going to finish it. And literally making that commitment to finish, the whole race shifted. And I slowly started to pass people going from fifth to fourth to third, eventually into second place, somewhere past the half marathon point. Right. So, Karen, you're running along and you're running well. And the year before, you had taken some time out of Paula in the marathon. When did you start? Did you start hearing some splits that Paula was coming back to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I was using that um, as motivation to push. And um, it's funny because uh, I did the same math as Mark. And I was like, I, it was 11 and a half and it's something like that. So I was like, all right, 30 seconds a mile. You'll catch her at 22 or whatever, 24. Yeah. And um so I definitely had, I knew I had made up 30 seconds a mile in the first um, like eight miles of the year before. And then I had kind of fallen off the pace and just kind of run her pace the rest of the way. So this time I thought if you can do that again in the first eight miles and then just keep it up, do it again the next eight. So what I was getting some splits, I, you know, you never know how valid they are, but um enough of them were close that I believed they were probably right. And I did make up four minutes in the first eight miles. So that gave me at least, you know, encouragement that I was on the right track. And uh, so it just kind of kept me pushing. She picked it up a little bit the second, um, I think she got word that I was making up some time. 
And uh, I think in the second eight, I only made up like two and a half. And I thought, well, that could be (laughs) the difference right there. You know, I'm no longer going to catch her before the finish. But, um, you know, I had no idea what she was going through. I mean, obviously this, the race from her perspective was, is pretty interesting to hear too. Yes. I knew nothing about that at the time, but right. um, yeah. So yeah, uh, I wasn't until, to be honest, a mile, not even, I, I did not know I could win that race until I actually saw her with about 800 meters to go. That's the first time I actually believed I was going to catch her or could catch her before that. It was all a matter of just trying to get closer. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew never to give up and, um, and I did think that, all right, the closer you get, the more interesting it is for TV. And, um, cause I did, I was putting that pressure on myself yeah. like, on, she's won so many times the TV have done these huge stories on her. Um, just make it a race, you know? And when you came around the corner and you're heading down towards Ali'i drive and all of a sudden, like you said, she's there and she isn't just there, but she's, you know, she's, could you tell right away as soon as you took the turn that, oh my God, she's in trouble? No, not at all. Um, I had actually caught a glimpse of her right before she turned down Hualalai. And that was the time that I was, you know, all of a sudden so excited, like the hair on my arms literally stood on end because I thought this is the coolest race ever and I'm part of it. And, uh, so she disappeared from view when she went around the corner. And so when I came around the corner and it's kind of cool because you can see the TV showed that one segment, I came around that corner with my eyes like this, like, where is she? Where is she? You know, um, with this idea of, you know, how quickly can I reel her in? And, um, so I saw her ahead of me and it, even then I, I was so focused on just trying to make up some time that I kind of ran down the hill and it was only within five yards before I got to her that she kind of stopped and staggered a little bit. And it surprised me so much. I almost ran into her. And, uh, so I kind of, uh, um, you know, did a little sidestep around her and, you know, pat her on the back and, uh, mostly, so I didn't smash into her <laughs> and, uh, you know, said something like nice job and, uh, just ran like crazy thinking, I have no idea how that happened so easily but I'm not going to stop her and ask her what's going on, you know? So So, as I came, um, I finally turned around onto Alihi drive and looked back a couple of times thinking, you know, what is going on? Is she cramping? Is she, you know, why did she stagger like that? And, um, and just making sure that she hadn't just, you know, stopped and stretched. And then she was doing a final sprint to catch me, catch back up. Um, and when I didn't see her at all, I could finally kind of, uh, enjoy the finish line a little bit, but, yeah, I only had a few minutes to actually let it sink in that I was about to win the race. <laughs> and not just win a race, but the, the, the Ironman World Championship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, at the finish line, it's not like people had knowledge of what the hell was going on. But Mike Riley's expecting Paul Newby Frazier to win her eighth title. That's and, right. Yeah, and they, here comes this woman in Nike coming around the corner. It's like, wait, what? what's going on? Yeah. Was, when they could see somebody in the distance and they could see it was a female – they definitely announced that uh, here comes Paul and Newby Frazier to win <laughs> race or whatever. And um, I, I definitely kind of like laughed a little bit under my breath thinking, yeah, they didn't get the memo. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I got closer, they could see it wasn't Paula. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty big surprise. <laughs> 
So, Grip, when you're uh, when you're heading into the energy lab and you're getting a, a sense of of Thomas, um, did you did you feel that you could because the guy comes off the bike with a 14 minute lead and he runs a 258 marathon. It's not like the guy was collapsing. He did everything right. And so you've got to run this guy down who's still running well. When did you have a sense that I think I can get this guy? Well, with eight miles to go, I was told that he was four minutes ahead. So, you know, you do the math. I'd made up time, but I was still in relative terms, only on pace to catch him at the finish line. And, you know, he's 13 years younger than me. And that's not a good place to catch a guy when you're sprinting for the world championship. Yeah. You know, and so I thought I need something else. I just, I didn't think I could, I didn't know if I could do it at that point. And, you know, I just called out to the big island. I said, Hey, I need some help here. I'm going to give it everything I have, but I just need something extra. And that's when I started to make up more than 30 seconds a mile. And finally, right before around mile 23, I, you know, I could, I mean, for six hours, six and a half hours, I couldn't even see the guy because he was so far ahead, you know? And so and then finally I could see him way in the distance, but the, you know, distance on out on the queen k just looks massive and i still didn't know and then finally you know i got within you know almost touching distance of his back and i thought okay i think i'm going to be able to catch him you know it was mile 23 obviously i've got about five seconds to make up but i didn't know if he was sort of resting waiting for me to catch him and then he was going to really turn on the afterburners you just don't know you know and so i still didn't know if i was going to win and finally i thought okay i don't know if i should wait or i should go but i'm just going to go and just floor it you know and and so i passed him and he he didn't really latch on you know and but i could hear his steps and then they started to get a little softer and then a little softer and then i couldn't hear it couldn't hear him anymore and uh, i just kept going you know but you didn't want to look back I didn't want to look back. I didn't want to give him that, that thing of like, oh, maybe he doesn't know if he can keep going, you know? So I just kept it kept on it all the way to the finish line. It was, it was the most intense of any of the wins and the hardest one to win. You know, like when I came off the bike, I thought I was having the worst Ironman of my life. I'd never been that far out of the lead going into the marathon. And, um, but in the end, it was really the best race I ever had because I had to just keep bringing myself back from those places where your mind goes, where you just want to quit and give up and give up hope. And, you know, I had to, like I said, I had to kind of come up with a a whole new reason to keep going. And that was just to get to the finish line. And then as I was getting closer to him, all of a sudden it felt like, Oh, maybe I can actually win this thing, you know? And then I did win it. And, um, and it was so sweet too, because Matt's my son, had been born the year before. Uh, and that was the first Ironman that he was at that I was racing at. And so, you know, I crossed the finish line and, and he was there with, with, with Julie and, uh, you know, just to, to win it and to see him and then to hold him, you know, it was just an amazing day. When also it's the drop the mic moment, right? It's your last Ironman world championship. It's your last race ever. And you have the greatest comeback in your history. It, on that day that's pretty damn special yeah i i couldn't have scripted it any better you know (laughs) and then i you know i had no idea of the drama that was going on in the women's race you know and even when people told me about it i didn't quite get it and then when i finally saw the footage you know it just 
I was paralyzed just watching it, you know, because I know how that is when, you know, Paula was, Paula was fading, you know, you could see it way out before she even got back into town. She was kind of slowing down and stumbling a little bit. And, and then to see her get to that point where she was weaving and then to, you know, put myself in Karen's mind and like to be so far back and knowing you're not making up enough time and knowing that you're not going to get the splits quick enough to realize that there's really hope, you know, to hold it together and give it everything you have anyway. And then all of a sudden to see her pass, um, Paula, you know, like she said, Paula had stumbled and they, I, you know, I, I can see it in my mind, you know, she almost stumbled into Karen and Karen, actually shoved her really hard to get it down on the ground. <laughs> Karen basically held her up. <laughs> yeah, Karen actually held her up. And, you know, just to have that, it, it was, to me, you know, both of those races that we had that day, ironically, were very similar in the sense that it would have been so easy to just give up, throw in the towel, give a three-quarter um, race effort, and neither of us would have won. Right. You know, but Ironman is so... Any race, really, you just never know what's going to happen until you do cross that finish line. And so it's 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 never worthless to give everything you have because you just don't know how it's going to turn out. Absolutely. So, Karen, when you look at your your wins in your career, or the races that meant the most to you, does does that one mean the most to you? I would say it probably does, just because it's uh, just such a momentous race you know you the amount you have to train to put into it the um the fact that yeah all eyes are on you um you know I think it definitely is uh the win I'm probably most proud of um you know I do still feel like uh you know Paul, what Paula went through uh had a lot to do with my win so um you know, you kind of wonder if she hadn't made mistakes, you know, things would have turned out differently. So um, I don't relish the way that I beat her because I, I know that she wasn't, you know, at her, uh, it wasn't her best uh, execution ever. <laughs> um, but I know that that's, that's the way Ironman works, you know. Uh, right. And uh, so you can only race what people bring on the day. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was a pretty special day. But you know, I look back at some of my other races and I'm, I'm quite proud of like the next year, even though I was mad as can be at the time. Um, I felt like in 96, I was in better shape. I, I thought I could break three hours on the marathon. Um, I knew I was in as good biking shape, if not better. And, um, you know, I came off the bike and I actually got out on the run ahead of Paula, uh, Natasha, um, Badman had, uh, burst yeah. on the scene there. And so, um, but so I was like, I am in great shape here off the bike. Uh, unfortunately, my nutrition, I had just tried to change it a little bit to try and have a little more calories for the finish of the bike. And um, it was just a little too much for my stomach to handle. And I started to run and realized, oh, my God, I'm in big trouble. Like my stomach was just full of fluid. And um, so instead of, you know, running this glorious marathon and taking the wind you know, in great fashion, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden by mile three, I was throwing up on the side of the road as Paula and Natasha ran off and had this, you know, amazing pool yeah. you know, on the run. And, um, Paula, you know, came back after saying she was going to retire and won her eighth race. And, you know, I was like, God, I would have loved to have been a part of that too. But, um, 
you know, here I am throwing up and it would have been quite easy. You know, I had lost all my calories, obviously, when you're throwing up and it's so early in the marathon. And um, I got passed by, for sure, Fernanda, maybe a couple other people. And, um, but, you know, mile by mile, I managed to get a little more calories back in, pull it back together a bit, and finally was able to start running again and managed to still take third. So in some ways, I'm like, that took as much out of me as the wind did, you know? And so, you know, all the races, you, you, you have little, sometimes the races you don't win, have you've had to work harder for absolutely okay we're gonna to go to a little thing called rapid fire in your career karen what was, what was your toughest moment oh lord uh being called for drafting Ooh. one time ever and i totally didn't deserve it but it still bugs me to this day <laughs> bet i bet Worst happiest moment. moment um gosh I can't pick one. So, so it's, there's been so many. So uh, many. Probably winning, yeah, probably winning my first world championship, maybe, 1990. Yeah, because yeah, you had in 1990 with the Disney World. That's, yeah, that was world, a pretty yeah, cool one. World. Dave McGillery, my manager, was the race director. My husband was there. My parents were there. And it was very unexpected. Hardest training session? Oh, probably my first... Um, first Ironman training, like doing my first hundred mile ride when I'd already entered Ironman and <laughs> could not even pick my body up off the rug and never mind go for a run afterwards. <laughs> Thinking, what if I got myself into? What made you a champion? Ah, persistence, I swear. Just uh, not giving up, sticking with it, keeping plugging and finding something that I loved. Perfect. Grip, same stuff. Toughest moment for you. Toughest moment for me was picking up the pieces after uh, 1988 Ironman and, and keeping going. I thought I was going to win that year. Dave Scott pulled out right before the race. I'd beaten everybody else who was in it. Um, and, but I got three flat tires, ended up finishing fifth. Yeah. Yep. Just devast- emotionally, it was completely devastating. That was the hardest, hardest moment to say, okay, let's go do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, you turned out to be the great, you know, great we look at as the greatest race ever, uh, 89, coming yeah. back that following year. Uh, happiest moment? I would say it was uh, that, that, like I said, that final win in, in 95, because like I said, Matt was there. I was holding my son in my hands. He was surrounded in that amazing energy. Yeah. And it was also like the real, it was a real completion of everything that I'd done. And it took everything that I had learned in my career up to that point to be able to put it all together. And so it was like the most fulfilling experience ever in the sport for me. Hardest training session. Hardest training session was probably one day in Boulder when I thought I could run a track workout with Rob DiCostella and his buddies. (laughs) I was put to shame and humbled and finally just gave up because it was so hard. I just, I, it just blew my mind how fast real marathon runners are. What were they doing? Uh, we were doing uh, some thousands. With, that's, it, that's way too far to try to keep up with Rob DiCostella. Yeah, with no recovery. Yeah, well, yeah. for me, no recovery. Yeah. <laughs> what, what made you a champion? 
I think patience was probably my greatest virtue as far as what got me to where I did. You know, I, I tried to never freak out about the negative stuff and to just learn from it and pick up the pieces and, and, and modify and change until finally I realized those dreams that I really could see happening, but I, sometimes it just took a long time to, to do it, to get it, to achieve it. Love it. Hey, thank you both for taking time. It's always so much fun to talk to you guys. I, I learn something every time we chat. You guys are the best. Thanks, Bob. Our pleasure. Karen, thanks. And a big thank you to Karen Smyers and Mark Allen. This is the Pro Triathletes Organization, the PTO Hub. Oh, and I forgot to ask you guys, PTO captains. Come on now. Collins Cup captains. How cool is that for you guys? Fantastic. I'm really excited for it. It was definitely a bummer it got postponed this year, but I think in a way we're going to be able to build a lot of uh, excitement yeah. for next year. We'll have a whole year of promotion. I like it. And for you, Grip? Yeah, same thing. I was honored to be picked. Karen has been involved a little bit longer than me. And um, like she said, disappointing that the race didn't happen this year, but you know everybody's in that boat with all the races at the moment. So exactly. I, it'll, it, it'll be really exciting next year. They've, they've helped support the, the pros who they're not making money right now. You know, there's no. no prizes because there's no races. And so they've helped support the pros, hopefully keep them alive and surviving this year so that then next year we can sort of come out with a big, big, big bang, a big bash. I love it. Mark Allen and Karen Smyers have been our guests. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate all your time.